to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Where we do get hung up sometimes is trying to figure out the how of everything. You know, I find it relatively easy to believe that God can, but then when I start looking at the situation, it's like, Lord, I know you can, but but how could this really happen? But you know, that's the part we have to leave with the Lord. He's able to do things that we could never dream of. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapter 18 in a message titled, Abraham the Intercessor. Now here's Pastor Brian. Genesis chapter 18. We left off with Abraham having just submitted to that sign of the covenant that God had given to him and to his descendants. We saw how Abraham and Ishmael and all of the men in his house were circumcised. Now, just how long transpires between the end of chapter 17 and the beginning of chapter 18, we don't know exactly, but it couldn't have been too long at all because the Lord had promised to Abraham that Sarah at this same time next year would have a child. And when we pick up in chapter 18, Sarah is not yet pregnant. So just a a short period of time, maybe a few days, maybe a few weeks, at the most, a couple of months have passed. But now once again, the Lord is appearing to Abraham. And so we read, then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, just to remind you, whenever we see the word Lord in all capitals, that is the name for God. And so Some pronounce it Yahweh, some pronounce it Jehovah, however you choose to pronounce it. This is the name for God. So we could read it, then Yahweh appeared to him by the terebinth trees. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, And he bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant." They said, do as you have said. So this to me is really astounding because what we have here now, of course, we've read previously that the Lord has appeared to Abraham, but we've never been told specifically about 
you know, what that was like. Um, did he appear in a vision? Did he appear in a dream? Was there some sort of image? We haven't been told uh, specifically up until this point what those appearances were like. But now we see that the Lord is appearing to Abraham in a bodily form. He's appearing to him in what looks like a human body. And it's fascinating when you read through this account here to realize that Abraham is, he's having a conversation face-to-face with the Lord, with, with Yahweh himself. Now, notice there were three men that suddenly appeared near him. Now, some have thought that perhaps this is a reference to the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all appearing together to Abraham. But as we follow along in the story, we find that two of them go ahead of the Lord onto Sodom, and it becomes obvious that they are heavenly messengers. They are angels. So the idea that this could be an appearance of the Trinity is not really accurate. But it is the Lord appearing to Abraham in bodily form. And so verse six says, so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Now, again, you know, if you think about this, this is all rather fascinating because we're talking about two angelic messengers and the Lord. They are all there present in what appears to be uh, human bodies, and they're actually eating. So just how that all, you know, sorts itself out, we, we don't really know. But this is what happened. So Abraham, he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he, now obviously the Lord is the primary spokesman here. He said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she'd already gone through menopause. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? And then the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? God's question, why did she laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? This is a question with an obvious answer, isn't it? The answer, of course, is no. There's nothing that's too hard for the Lord. As the angel 
Gabriel said to Mary, when Mary was puzzled about how it could be possible that she could conceive a child having never had relations with a man, and as Gabriel went on to explain to her that the the Holy Spirit would overshadow her, the power of the highest would come upon her, and so forth. And then he went on to say, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Jeremiah reiterated these words. He said, all Lord God, Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. And then the Lord in that same 32nd chapter, he said, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, this is a truth that all of us must take to heart. Because, of course, you know, the same God who is here conversing with Abraham and making this declaration, essentially, that there is nothing hard for him, that is the same God that we serve tonight. And whatever the situation might be that you find yourself in this evening, however dire it might appear, however impossible it might seem from your perspective, just remember this. There's nothing that's hard for the Lord. You see, the Lord can take care of these kinds of things in a split second or faster. It's just simply a matter of him exerting his power and his will on that particular situation, and he can resolve the problem, any problem, every problem. And I think if we would really just grasp hold of that, really embrace that, it would bring to us a tremendous amount of peace. Because, you know, there are a lot of things that we don't have any control over. There are a lot of things that are very hard for us, aren't there? And sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we're looking at something and we're just thinking, you know, this is impossible. I don't know what can be done and and I don't have the strength or the resources. I don't have the ability. But then to just remember, there's nothing hard for the Lord. This isn't a problem for God. And as we go to him with our request, as we let him know the things that are burdening us, as we cast our cares upon him, knowing that he cares for us, you know what will result from that? The peace of God. And isn't that what Paul said in his epistle to the Philippians? He said, be anxious for nothing. Don't be filled with anxiety over the things that are going on around you. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep or guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. You know, that is is liberating doctrine right there, to just be able to say, you know, Lord, I believe that this situation, whatever it might be, is not a problem for you, and I'm believing you to take care of it. Can we do that? I believe we can. I believe that is what we're told to do over and over again in the scripture. 
You know, today I had an experience where I witnessed this truth in my own life today. As I was weighed down about something and burdened and, and, and frustrated and feeling powerless in, in a particular situation. And I was just saying to the Lord, Lord, I can't do anything about this, but you are able. And as I just sort of, you know, reasoned my way through it and sort of conversed with God about the subject, I came to a place of just being able to truly just say, okay, Lord, it's yours. It's your burden. I can't, I can't carry it. I can't change it. And, you know, it was amazing to see just a few hours later evidence of how God was working in that very situation that I was burdened about. And it was so encouraging to me to just think, yes, Lord, you, you just gave me a demonstration today of, of this great truth. So there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No. Is, is the fact that Sarah is 90 years old and she's gone through menopause already, the fact that Abraham is 100 years old, is that a problem for the Lord? Well, that's a problem from the human perspective, obviously. It's an impossibility from the human perspective. But God is able. And again, the story of the past is the prophecy of the future. What God has done in the lives of of his people throughout the ages, and we look back on those things and we read about those things in our Bibles or we hear stories and testimonies about people in the history of the church who have been radically and powerfully helped by God. You know what all of that is? It's just encouragement to me to look to the Lord and to believe that he can and will do those same kinds of things today. Now, of course, where we do get hung up sometimes is trying to figure out the, the how of everything. You know, I, I find it relatively easy to believe that God can, but then when I start looking at the situation, it's like, Lord, I know you can, but, but how could this really happen? But you know, that's the part we have to leave with the Lord. I can't come up with a good solution, but I know that God is not limited to you know, what I can come up with. And he's able to do things that, that we could never dream of. And so he says, at the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it. Now, remember the question the Lord asked was, why did Sarah laugh? So she denied it saying, I did not laugh. Why did she do that? For she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. It's interesting. <laughs> God doesn't let her off the hook all that easily. No, you, you laughed. Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him 
that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. It's interesting here, God reveals at least part of his purpose in calling Abraham. And his purpose, as he declares here, is that he would raise up through Abraham a godly seed, a godly people, a godly nation. Now, of course, we know historically, sadly, that did not happen the way God desired it to happen because Israel was more often than not living in a a state of rebellion to God rather than a state of submission. But this was God's intention. God was wanting to raise up from Abraham this, this godly seed, this representative people. Of course, the Jews were intended by God to be his representative nation on the earth. And the further we go into the books of Moses, of course, we find that. God says to Israel, he says, you're a a peculiar people. You're a special treasure. I've known you out of all of the people of the earth. And God's objective there was to shine the light of his truth through Israel to the other nations that the other nations might then also be drawn to worship the true and the living God. But again, Israel fails miserably. This is what the Lord desires for the church as well. That the church would be that city that it's set up on a hill, as Jesus said that we would be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But once again, sadly, we find that there's been a great amount of failure in the church. And, you know, we can't really control what goes on in the, the church at large, but, of course, we can control what goes on in our own lives. And this is what God is looking for from your life and mine. God is looking that from our lives righteousness would come forth, that we would become his representatives, that we would be a people that he could point to and say, these are my people, and these are my statutes, and this is my way of life, and ideally that that would be the very thing that would draw people in. And of course, when we live out our faith, when we're sincere, when we're genuinely seeking the Lord, that is indeed what happens, isn't it? And it's a beautiful thing. And that's the very thing that God intended. You know, we live in a dark world. I don't have to tell you that, do I? It's getting darker every single day. Amazingly, so rapidly, the world is morally deteriorating. And yet as things become morally and spiritually darker, this gives an opportunity for us to shine brighter. And we're to let our light so shine before men. And it's a great thing when you find that that's happening. You know, even sort of unconsciously. Cheryl and I have a 
place that we like to go have coffee and we just go there and we talk to the people and, you know, that we order our coffee from and we have developed some friendships with them over the past few years and we've never really had much of an opportunity to share the Lord with them. Occasionally, somebody will whisper something that I think, I think that guy's a, a, like a preacher or something, you know, a, <laughs> a priest or, you know, you know, the ideas that people have. And, but, you know, all of that to say, the interesting thing is, you know, as time goes on, we're, we're suddenly finding out that there's conversation that's happening amongst some of those people and then they're having questions and they're starting to say, hey, you know, can I ask you a question about this? And I, I heard that you belong to a church and well, we've noticed your lives and you're so, you're so kind and you're so loving and you're so friendly to us and we've watched you together and you know, we didn't know any of that stuff was going on. We're just having coffee and enjoying each other. But the Lord's using that. And you see, that's how God wants to work in our lives, that we would be keeping the way of the Lord and doing what's right and doing what's just, and that through that, God would be shining his light into this dark world. So that is his expressed intention here in raising up a nation from Abraham. But the question, of course, is, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? So God is on a mission here. He's going to do something, and now he's going to reveal to Abraham exactly what it is in verse 20. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know it. Now, to me, this is very interesting language that God is using here. We know that God is omniscient. And what does that mean? It means that God knows everything. God did not need to go to Sodom and Gomorrah to discover whether or not the sin was as grave as it actually was. Of course, he knew that already because he's God. But yet he says, interestingly, he says, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it. So how do we understand that kind of language or what is the Lord expressing here? And what I think the Lord is doing here really is he knows the, the, the truth about Sodom and Gomorrah, but because he's gracious, he's, even though he knows what the case is, he's going to go himself to just see for himself. But it, it's not so much that he needed to see for himself, but it's that others needed to see that God doesn't judge swiftly or lightly, but that when God judges something, he's been patient and his assessment of the situation has been thorough and his judgment is absolutely right.
October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Progress, Kindness, and Equality by Glenn Scrivener. Do you recoil at the ancient practice of slavery in the Bible? Do you value modern-day freedom and equality? Do you abhor the mistreatment of minorities by some in the Christian church? If you answered yes to just one of these questions, or even all of them, then chances are you have unknowingly inherited the biblical notions of redemption, freedom, equality, and compassion. In his book, The Air We Breathe, Glenn Scrivener argues that Christianity has been infused into Western culture so thoroughly that its values are simply taken for granted, and their Christian origins have gone unnoticed. No matter what you believe regarding the existence of God, this book will help you understand some of the values you cherish most. The book, The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality by Glenn Scrivener is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.